This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor. I'm joined by the entire crew, David, Brady, and Jordan. Tonight, we're going to be breaking down some of the new football coaching news. Uh, I'll have a little bit more about that in a little while. But first, we're going to break down uh, Georgia State basketball's trip to the Alabama schools and preview a little bit of a uh, Georgia Southern talk. So how do we feel regarding Georgia State's last two games since the last episode that we spoke? Kind of weird. Um uh... It was a split road trip, but it'd be kind of easy to argue that Georgia State wasn't the, quote, better team for most of either game. Uh, obviously, they came in with a win against South Alabama, but it was really the first game we've seen this year where shooting really just saved them, where they shot great from three, and so that covered up some other problems and the fact that South Alabama really did come pretty well ready to play. Um, and then you play Troy team who... We kind of got it right heading into this one in that we said we really don't know what to expect with this Troy team week to week. And uh, they came out really inspired. They came out shooting great from three. It's the best any team has shot from three against Georgia State this year by a kind of significant margin, and especially given the volume of it, 12 threes on the uh, afternoon. And it's the second double-digit loss for Georgia State all year. The first one was to Duke, and it's definitely not the team where you would look at them and be like, yeah, they're definitely going to beat Georgia State by double digits. Um, but Georgia Southern lost as well on Saturday, so you didn't lose any ground to them. You just lost ground to Little Rock, so you can kind of live with a one-on-one split on the road, but it really feels like if the conference goes sideways for Georgia state later in the year. This is going to be one of those losses you look back at and go, man, wish you had that one in the bag. Yeah. I mean, we spoke about it at the last podcast that if you go four and one over the next stretch of games, you're still in good shape. So, I mean, there's no margin for error anymore, but that's still certainly on the table. Yeah. I'll echo those sentiments uh, from Brady because Troy kind of just played really, really well in the second half. And, uh, Georgia State just didn't have the shooting that they normally do to really match them. Um, I mean, you know, hats off to Troy, obviously. They just kind of ambushed the three-point line, and it was very clear that that's what they were they wanted to do. And, you know, then the game just kind of got a little out of hand with some technical fouls and some chippiness and all that. But, you know, if this was the game that Georgia State was going to drop in this next five game in the stretch that we talked about last week – Personally, I was probably okay that this was the one simply because Troy was such a wild card. Um, I think implication-wise, it matters a little bit more if they were to sweep South Alabama, take care of business against Southern in Statesboro, and then beat Troy at home. Um, So, Taylor, as you said and kind of alluded to, you're right. There is no room for error if our prediction is to come true. Um, But I don't think this was necessarily a bad loss. It was just the culmination of no one really playing great, which that that if that happens, you're going to be in trouble Um, if you don't have the one person who really goes crazy. And it was just nine for twenty nine from three point is a a bad clip for this team. Um, It's about an average for some division one basketball teams. But Georgia State has been significantly better from three than that. So. 
I think, uh, and I'll bring this into just the general group talk, is there was a lot of zone between these two teams, and it's been a thing that's come up in recent games. And we actually talked about it. I can't remember which pod it was. Um, it was a couple of them ago where I think David brought up that might be seeing more zone, and what do we think of that? And I, I, I made the point that the shooters are so good that you're going to end up paying for if you zone for too long against Georgia state. But while I was right about that on the Thursday game against South Alabama, the, uh, I guess nightmare, if you want to call it scenario played out on Saturday, because there was a lot of settling for threes and forcing threes and it didn't work out. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's nice to see Georgia state kind of shoot their way to a good game. Um, but on Saturday, that was a much different story. And, you know, the 31% from beyond the arc, that's definitely lower than we've seen this Georgia State team. And I don't want to sit there and say that all of the shots were bad looks. They, you know, some of them, they were open and, you know, just weren't hitting them. And that happens. You still want them to take those shots. Um, but when you get out rebounded, when you aren't really doing much of anything else, not really adding anything on the free throw line, no, that type of thing matters. You really need to be hitting your shots and, you know, kudos to Troy for forcing Georgia state to not make their shots. And I guess, I don't know if this is maybe what you went by meant my bad loss. If like, in terms of like, Oh no, how could Georgia state lose to Troy? But I guess partly because of the one bid nature of the Sunbelt right now and how the individual losses only mean so much. And partly because it feels like a really balanced league and that their record isn't necessarily indicative um i don't necessarily think of it as a bad loss in background like it's not a team you should lose to by 10 but you know i I have a hard time getting up and down with like nature of losses because if you don't win on the sunday the sunbelt tournament it doesn't really matter who you won or lost to um and i think that I mean, they're four and five in the Sun Belt, and it's a pretty decent league. It shows that on any given night that they can come out and play. And it's hard to beat a team when you give up 12 threes. And some of their looks weren't even that great. It was just that they were feeling it. I mean, there were a couple of them where they just they got them in a rhythm, but it was like NBA range threes and it's just buckets. And it's just, sometimes there's nothing you can do when those are the shots that are going in. And also to that point, that's kind of how the South Alabama game played for Georgia State. You know, Justin Roberts was six of eleven from downtown. You know, Corey Allen didn't have a great shooting night in that regard, but he still hit three threes. Kane added three threes. You know, Damon added two of them. So sometimes that's just how the ball falls. So we'll see. Um, I guess the the zone defense thing is something to log. Uh, in his media telecall today, Coach Lanier did reference that they were in a stretch where there were teams that do play a lot more zone and that it was maybe something that earlier in the year because teams prepare to mostly play man defenses that a lot of their work earlier in the year had gone into their man offense and that that was something they're going to have to get into a little bit more because with the Alabama schools coming again and with Georgia Southern this weekend he was expecting to see a good bit of zone again and so well it'll be interesting to see whether there is a difference because there were times where the zone pressure or just whatever different facets of the defense was giving fits to the guards in ways that 
even for a team that's turned it over a fair amount, it hasn't really flared up a lot. So definitely not cause for concern, but something to watch for in the next three games when we play Georgia Southern and then the Alabama schools again. I don't think it'll be a huge factor for Southern. I don't think that they run a zone. I don't remember them doing. Well, they, they might is, I don't know this. I don't want to say cynic, but the, the, if they're watching this film, it might be something they see and say, Hey, this zone was giving them problems. We might as well install it while we have an extra off day. Um, yeah, I can't say off the top of my head, they're really a, a zone team, Georgia Southern, but it might be something that they explore and it might be something that other teams explore and it might be something down the line in any hypothetical postseason teams look at because it is hard to stay in front of these guards for Georgia state. Uh, and while they can shoot the lights out and shoot nearly 40% from three, Troy showed the blueprint for in South Alabama for about 25, 30 minutes of the game showed the blueprint for challenging the Georgia state offense in spite of that shooting with the zone looks they were showing. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Panthers obviously have a rest on Thursday. Um, then they go down to Statesboro, which in my humble opinion is, was the most intriguing matchup of these stretch of five games. Um, as we saw last year, it is possible for a road team to win. Um, Georgia state obviously snapped the streak that went back to what? 1996 um, by beating Southern in Statesboro. And if I'm being honest, I think one of the most important games to date is this one. And I think Georgia state probably has to win it. Um, in order for the season to kind of keep on the plane that it is currently going on, if that makes sense. So I don't you're want saying to, it's a must win. I was, about to, I was about to say, I don't want to say it's a must win, um, but I do want to say it is an incredibly important game, even though your point about winning on that Sunday in March is the most important for this league. This is still a very important game for Georgia state. Yeah. I mean, the skinny on the new way that the Sunbelt works with the tournament, now only having two games in New Orleans. It basically means that the top two seeds get a bye straight to New Orleans and everyone else has to play at least one round on on-campus sites before they get to go to the semifinals in New Orleans. And the other part of that is that the teams in the semifinals straight through on a bye can be in New Orleans already by the time the previous round is playing games. And so it can be a real advantage. All this to say, Georgia State and Georgia Southern, the the winner of the game on Saturday will unbreak the tie for now as to who joins Little Rock in those top two spots. And so any game where you can lose your chance to be in that bye, I agree. It's a really big deal. Um, taking the rivalry out of it, it wouldn't really matter who it was. It's whoever you're tied with in that scenario it matters. There's still the entire playing every team a second time to to go after this game, but it gives you a leg up if you win in this game. And it feels like even though the double buy was a big deal in conference tournaments of past, it feels like with this new format, getting the buy all the way to with the top two seeds, it feels like a very important thing. Yeah. And I think it's, 
important to mention that like the expectations of this team have evolved as the season has gone on. Obviously, we we kind of jokingly refer to the fact that Georgia State was picked towards the bottom of the Sun Belt this year in basketball, and that obviously hasn't been the case. And you know, if we had been asked the question, you know, are you expecting Georgia State to go out and get a buy in October? I don't think that necessarily we would have been the first ones to adopt that, but seeing the way that this team has played that when they're on their game and they're playing their best, that that should be the expectation that that should be the expectation to get to new Orleans with that buy and not have to play any games on campus this year. So, I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation coming up, you know, on the the back third of conference play and we're still in, you know, we're in contention for the number one seed right now and playing, you know, these teams at a high level that I think it's just important to keep in perspective that I don't want to say that we're kind of playing with house money, but that this team wasn't ex- expected to finish this well. And the fact that we're still kind of having these kind of conversations and as late into the season as we are is a testament to showing how they've kind of outperformed those expectations. And I guess the uh, opposite side of that argument, uh, taking away the, how close Georgia State is to the top of the conference. The conference is in a really weird place standing wise right now where there's one team at seven and two in Little Rock. The Georgia schools are tied at six and three in second. And then there are three teams tied below that in Arkansas State, South Alabama and Texas State at five and four. And then four teams are tied at four and five. And the tournament cutoff is at the end of that bottom of that group of four UTA. Um the Louisiana schools currently are both two and seven and would not go to the conference tournament as it currently stands. And so you're only two games up on the last team to get into the tournament. So it's not like Georgia state is on really safe ground to have a buy, let alone two buys, let alone, you know, be a top two seed, whatever. There really isn't a lot of time to lose because everyone's kind of coalesced in a, group around the same record and it's just it it really isn't a thing like in years past where there's been a real gap at the top and then there's the teams that maybe make the conference tournament it's all pretty close and so you taking the complete opposite side it you really can't drop any games if you want to be sure of getting a good seed given how the conference season has played out so far Certainly, yep. and I think the fact that Georgia State and Georgia Southern are right there at the top makes this game on Saturday even more important. I mean, not to say that it isn't important when Georgia State and Georgia Southern play in any sport, but the fact that they're both good at the same time, again, in basketball, really just kind of adds a little bit of fuel to that fire that I'm sure is going to be talked about in the locker rooms for both teams, that you know these are two of the best teams in the conference, and you're going to have to play them again right at the very end of the season. And if these standings, you know, holds in the way that they will be, that's going to come down to basically Georgia Southern, Georgia State and Little Rock all fighting for those top two positions. So this is going to be a really good opportunity for Georgia State to go out and get one of those statement wins again uh, to show that, you know, they really do belong in that, you know, top of the conference conversation. Moving on to the the game itself, um, it feels like, it's weird to say a team who averages 76 a game, which is a decent number, doesn't shoot great. But Georgia Southern doesn't shoot great. <laughs> um, they are just under 43% f- 
field goal percentage as a team, which is just okay, maybe a little bit below okay. And they're just under 34% from three. And so all this to say, if they have a good shooting day on Saturday, it's going to bode well for them because, I mean, that that stands on, on its own, you know, if you shoot well, you're going to win. But it, it's a team that theoretically with the defense Georgia State's been able to play all year, Georgia State playing their best would be able to handle them and not let them shoot well and therefore not have a good offensive day and therefore win. So if the shooters that Georgia Southern do have, and there are a couple that are decent, um, have a good shooting day and get going early, it's going to be problematic for Georgia State. And there's been a weird issue with scoring better from outside than inside the perimeter for Georgia State as of late. Uh, Georgia Southern has some good front court players, but I would be interested to see maybe a game where one of the freshmen gets it going on the offensive side or Josh Linder, someone on the inside and seeing a couple more layups or mid range jumpers, whatever from the, the starting guards go in. Cause it seems like on this Alabama trip, there were just some shots that just usually fall decent high percentage looks from the likes of a Justin Roberts or Kane Williams. And they weren't going in this week. And I think that you're going to want to see better shooting from them on the interior. Perimeter, I think that the shooting performance against Troy was probably a blip, but the interior stuff, it's you got to clean it up because if you're getting good looks to, at the basket against a good defensive team, you're you're only going to get so many of those, so you have to make them count. The Southern team is weird because they've got two guys who average more than one and a half steals per game, but on the whole, they don't you know, get a ton of steals per game. It's only eight and 8.3, which is good. I mean, lower than what they turn over, which, you know, or just stays the same way. But <clears throat> you'd expect a guy, if a guy like Quan Jackson's getting 2.4, that the rest of the team, you know, is probably a little bit higher than where they are. But it's going to be interesting to see. And I think to echo your point, Brady, but also take it a different way, just taking care of the ball is something that, Georgia State has struggled with a lot recently. You know, 15 turnovers against Troy, still, that's just not good. It's not good at all. 14 against South Alabama, even though they won by nine, you know, and they just, they absolutely need to take care of the ball better than they have been, you know, because if you let a team like Southern in Statesboro, you know, get the crowd involved and be right there and in your face after you turn over the ball, it's just going to be a really long day. It, we've we've kind of just given some individual thoughts, but what does this Georgia State win in Statesboro on Saturday look like? What's the blueprint for that win? Yeah, I, I think it is not turning it over. The season average is at 14, a little over 14. So I'd say definitely a game where you turn it over less than you are on average would be an important thing. Uh, and like I say, if you can keep them in the ballpark of their average shooting percentages are lower and you're not giving up a bunch of fouls, which has been another problem at times for Georgia state is having a lot of fouls committed and you can control the crowd and, and you can make it where it's not a thing where for 40 minutes crowds on their feet, getting into the game, getting active. If you can start fast or come out of the second half fast and quiet up all the hype that's going on, that that's how you do it. it it's hard. This is why, winning at home 
is easier than winning on the road. It's because if the crowd is there at the end, it does make a difference, even if it isn't something on the stat sheet. There is something tangible about a a crowd being behind you when it counts. And that matters. You know, I believe in 2017, we are... I be, yeah, 2017, when Georgia State lost in Statesboro, you know, it seemed like, you know, a player as talented as DeMarcus, who should be able to, you know, block that out, you know, he kind of got a little bit rattled. The game was close, and then the game kind of slipped from Georgia State then and there, you know, and luckily that didn't happen last year. Um, but you're right, you know, kind of controlling the crowd, controlling, you know, how you play there and how you excuse me, handle yourself and, you know, still being able to play your brand of basketball is exactly what will help Georgia state win on Saturday. And I guess I'll bring it back to one more thing. Um, This is how it played out last year. And it's why Georgia state won last year. Damon Wilson had one of his better games in a Georgia state uniform in Statesboro last year. It was 11 points, 11 rebounds, six assists, no turnovers. Uh, Kane Williams, I can't quote his line off the top of my head, but he had an, a good game as well. And so I think a important point is the guys who've been here in this rivalry and also just have been the experienced guys on this team, having them have a good game will matter. I actually found that box score. Georgia State turned the ball over eight times. Only eight times. That's huge. If they do that on Saturday, they're probably going to win. Yeah, we were a, a podcast back when that game happened. And I remember saying Damon was a big deal in that game. And I remember talking about controlling the crowd in that game, too. And it ended up being a five-point win, but it was... Georgia State made runs at the right times, especially late in the game, and kind of had the game handled. And then it wasn't a thing where Georgia Southern... <laughs> was getting his chance to scramble for a tying shot at the end. If I remember right, the uh, game kind of, they added some points at the end, but it was basically put away. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm scrolling and confirming that with my own eyes. So, yeah, I mean, last year was a decent blueprint. Old team, old, you know, different players, different coach aside. Last year was the blueprint, and that's probably why, unlike in other years, with good Georgia State teams have gone to Statesboro or good Georgia Southern teams went up to Atlanta and and couldn't make it happen. It's because there have been other things that have gone wrong. And last year, good percentage shooting from the field, good percentage shooting from three while holding Georgia Southern to a bad shooting percentage from three and not turning the ball over. And so that's the blueprint. Again, you've got a different scheme. You've got different everything, but if you do that, you're going to win. If you don't do that, you're leaving the door open for the home team to pull it out. So moving on to some football news, Georgia State has some coaching moves uh, in the works. Brady, you want to break that down for us? Yeah, um, it's funny how the conversation has been around. Well, there's a running backs coach opening after uh, Jimmy Smith left to go to Arkansas. And so, of course, the first names to come out for new Georgia State coaches are neither <laughs> coaches of that position, which still remains uh, vacant for now. Kind of hoping that with all the news that broke, that by the time we recorded this, something would come out with the running backs coach, but we'll wait. Uh, it probably won't come out like a day later. 
after this podcast gets released. It probably won't have that happen. They were waiting to release it until after we talked about it. Yeah, definitely. So what we do know is Corey Peoples will be coaching the cornerbacks next year, and Brian Landis will be coaching linebackers. Um, We don't have official titles yet, or if they carry any more positions than that or any other responsibilities, that will probably come when athletics officially announces the hires. But Corey Peoples was the cornerbacks coach at Georgia Southern rival alert in 2018. Uh, He left that job in July of last year. So he didn't end up coaching cornerbacks for Georgia Southern this past season. Uh, But the season he was there, Kendall Vildor and Moncrevian Brinson had really good seasons at cornerback. And a lot of that has to do with their good G five cornerbacks who wouldn't surprise me if either of them are getting get drafted come April, but it's still a good portfolio there in just one year where you can look at and see how well they performed. And I think we've talked about it a couple of times. Uh, me and David both have things about the current cornerbacks group. We like, we think Quavian white's got something And so if all it takes is another coach to come in and have his own message to help him get to his potential, we think that there's guys in this cornerback's room that can be better than maybe what they've been. So in that regard, welcome the hire. And the other one, Brian Landis, it's an interesting one. I don't think anyone following this stuff would have been like, this is the guy they're going to pick because – He's been a high school coach in Kentucky at Frederick Douglass High School in Kentucky. He actually started the program back in 2017. Um, But it seems like it's a thing where I don't know how coaches meet in these coaching circles. His name came up, and I think it was an interesting name in that he seems to have had a lot of success. He's been under some good coaches previous to this. I'm thinking of the year he was at Kentucky under Mark Stoops, who's a good defensive head coach. And it feels like this is Coach Elliott kind of going out on a limb and saying, this guy is going to be something, and I'm going to give him his first opportunity at the FBS level. Um, But again, no official title yet. Uh, He was the head coach and the defensive coordinator at Douglas High School. So I guess it wouldn't shock me if he got like a co-defensive coordinator title tagged on or if he had some role in leading the defense just because – it seems like he's got a good grasp on defense for what we can learn from Kentucky high school football. Um, but I guess putting a wrap on what I have to say about this is it feels like coach Elliott's not sitting on resting on his laurels and saying the defense will get sorted out, you know, excuse a excuse B he's going out and at least putting new position coaches in at places where he feels there could be better play. And maybe this is another way of saying, you know, you're going to cede to these coaches on this point. Nate Fuquay, defensive coordinator, maybe it's a way of getting his voice in the room a little more without actually taking control of the defense. So I guess we'll see how it plays out. But for anyone who was thinking that Coach Elliott was just going to stand pat and let things be, it seems in this case that with two hires, he's not satisfied with the defense. And so he wanted some new energy in that coaching staff. The other thing with these defensive hires is that Sheil Wood was the linebackers coach and special teams coordinator. And it seems based on this hire, he's not going to be 
around. And so it's possible that in addition to these hires, someone's going to have to coach special teams. Um, and I guess we'll see what that means. We'll see if it's one of these hires. We'll see if it's someone else on staff gets the responsibility. But I think the special teams haven't been the problem that they were in years past Georgia State, but it feels like this is a chance to not have them taken for granted and be a plus because if you look at teams around the conference and around the country, special teams teams have learned how to make special teams a difference maker. And I feel like Georgia state hasn't been in that camp yet. And so that's something I'm going to watch is see what happens with special teams, who gets that job and what it means for that side of the ball. Cause it gets forgotten about. And sometimes it's not good of a special teamer makes news in a football game. Cause it means something bad happened, but it feels like there's an opportunity there and I'm seeing, I'm going to be interested to see whether that opportunity is taken or not. And with that, Brady, yields the floor all right well that just about wraps up this episode of the thursday night podcast if you haven't already head over to the website take a look at the piece brady published earlier this week uh going into a little bit more detail about the defensive coaching staff hires up on the website other than that let's uh go down to statesboro get that w and hopefully we'll have some good stuff to talk about next week but until then that's going to do it for us thanks for listening see ya Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcast. To submit questions and comments or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 